Welcome to The Forest and the Trees, global and local perspectives on the environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. My guest today is Rochetta Ozan, founder and CEO of the Vessel Project of Louisiana. She was one of the key players from the Gulf South who helped convince President Biden to pause approvals of any new LNG, or liquefied natural gas, export terminals that would have been mostly located along the Louisiana-Texas coast and that would have created completely unacceptable levels of greenhouse gas emissions, dashing our hopes of minimizing devastating climate impacts. There were a lot of others involved too, including the youth-led Climate Defiance and Third Act, a national organization for folks over 60. I'm delighted to speak with you, Rochetta, and I, I want to start with the name of your organization, The Vessel Project. It seems a bit unusual for an environmental justice group, but then I learned that your group started as a mutual aid organization. Please tell us more about it. Four years ago, when we were struck with, you know, several natural disasters, Hurricane Laura, Hurricane Delta, I wanted to help the community. There were so many people in need, people sleeping in tents and in houses that were uninhabitable. So I started giving back to the community out of my own pockets, just whatever I had and however I could help people. And I kept saying, I don't know how I'm doing this. I'm just a single mom with uh, six children. But people were donating to me, and it would be amazing how somebody would donate $50 and somebody would call and say they need $50 for something. So the money was coming in, going out. And I was like, I'm just a vessel. It's just coming through me. These blessings are flowing. So one day I was being interviewed by the local news station, me and I've had several volunteers that's helped me and one of my close friends, Dominique, who I met in this process. And they were like, what are you calling yourselves? And I was like, the Vessel Project. You know, we're just vessels um, that blessings flow through. So that's how the name came. But it's also a play on words, right? Because we're fighting large LNG vessels um, now. So I, I I don't think anything happens by chance. Oh, my. That's I hadn't really thought of it that way. That's fantastic. Are you still doing that same work that you started doing or have you had the transition to this other fight? Still doing that that work. That work never stops, right? We we identify these communities as at risk, low income, you know, below the poverty level, no resources. So we have to understand that these communities have unmet needs and just fighting a LNG terminal or stopping a particular project doesn't really help the community. But if we can help the community um, with their emergency needs, help them to develop programs and help them to develop, um, to receive resources in the community, that helps the community become more sustainable. And that's what the mission of the Vessel Project is. My mission has never been to fight one particular thing. There's so many things at this intersection of social justice, climate justice, racial justice. And my my fight has always been for the community, for the individual people who live here to make sure that they have all the things that they need to survive and thrive. Wow, that's great. Um, but I want to go back to something you just said. You said stopping an LNG terminal doesn't necessarily help the community. Um, 
doesn't it help the community if there's less i mean because the pollution is so tremendous and also because of the climate impacts would would you say it helps the community in that way if that but if that project has never been to that community and we only stop this proposed perpetual thing but we don't look at everything else that's impacting that community it's just stopped one thing it does not stop something else from coming to that same community because what we realize is that as long as the community is in the state that it's in something else is going to make its case to come for that community we know that the other side especially the republicans like to say that these communities are in a position to need economic development or workforce development and that's how they you know propose these projects in those type of communities because they feel like well they need something there to make this community better but we're showcasing that the projects that are already here are not helping the community at all i mean we're talking about communities that are surrounded by billion dollar industries but are still you know uh have the highest unemployment rate the lowest minimum wage people still struggling to get by. So again, stopping one facility, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things and the climate as a whole, yes, it prevents that extra pollution. It stops that community from being in danger from that thing that never came. It does not change the condition of the community. I gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And I've been down there. I, was, I made several trips, four trips uh, down to down to New Orleans and to the Gulf uh, near, but closer to New Orleans. So I didn't get as far out as you are, but, you know, I saw the devastation from the hurricanes and um, I saw the incredible, you know, what they call Cancer Alley, um, these unbelievably huge petrochemical projects that are, you know, have lights on all night and are right up along what they call the fence communities, which are residential areas that are like right there, and um, I had never seen anything like that in my life before. So it, yeah. it was really an education. And, you know, to, to know that, you know, explosions happen and, and the day-to-day -day, uh, exposure to all kinds of toxic and, and carcinogenic chemicals and so on is, it's, it's, I guess, a prime example of environmental injustice um, and racial yeah, injustice. Yeah. So tell me, how, you know, a couple, it's a week ago, I guess already now, um, President Biden announced that there's going to be a pause on LNG export terminals while they look for uh, evidence of, you know, what the climate impacts will be, because they should have been doing that all along, of course. And if they had done it all along, they never would have, you know, um, permitted any of them. But now they say they're going to do that. And, you know, the, the climate community and the um, environmental justice community are claiming this as a, as a huge win. Tell our listeners how that came about. Yes, first we want to be clear that, you know, this is not just a win for climate activists or frontline communities. This is a win for the environment. This is a, a win for the entire climate and what it means is that they're turning the faucet off so that we can look up at the spill, so we can clean up the spill. What we were doing for so long was mopping the ocean. Climate activists, frontline community members, big green groups, we've been trying to stop this project while more have been coming. 
And as more are coming in, there's more piling on top. You know, we're looking at, oh, this facility has an explosion. This facility is flaring. Come see this facility. And all the while, more are being approved. What this pause has done is turn that faucet off so we can really concentrate on what we already have and their impact. How are they impacting the environment? How are they impacting the climate? How are they impacting frontline community members? How are they impacting, um, you know, national security? And I and you hear me talk, you'll always hear me talk about the environment and the climate as two separate things, because as environmental justice advocates, we see the environment as the things that are around us, the things that we can touch, feel, see, smell, including our own bodies. That is our environment. It is more personal to you. It is your community, your town, your city, your area. The climate encompasses several different environments, right? The climate is a bigger thing. It's a global thing. It encompasses everybody. So when we're talking about environmental justice as it relates to these facilities, first we look at where is the fracking, the extracting and the exporting happening, how it's impacting those individual environments. Then we look at where is it being imported to, the shipping, who's receiving these projects. And when you put all of those things together, that is an impact on the entire climate. And that is making LNG worse than any coal facility could have ever been because the shipping, the going through these communities, the going across water, the way that they have to um, change the the um, the chemistry of this gas to ship it, that is what makes it dangerous. So that is the significance of this pause. It stops for a moment the approval of proposed new projects. Now, it's also very critical to understand that the Biden administration has not blocked the export of LNG. The other side and those who are opposed to this decision have been putting out a lot of lies and fear-mongering to make people think that this administration has immediately stopped the exporting of LNG. Existing LNG facilities in the U.S. are not affected by this pause at all. It's not affected by this decision. Um, and the eight new LNG terminals uh, will continue to operate. In fact, we are make, we, the, the amount of LNG that's produced will double. So when I walk out of my front door and, and I'm driving through my community, the three LNG terminals that, are, that I'm close to are still operating every day. They, they were not shut down. People did not lose their jobs all of a sudden. These, these were jobs nobody ever even had. These were permits that had never even been looked at um, that have been paused. But again, it is very significant because it stops more from coming so that we can look at what's already happening. Are these communities better? Are people dying? Are the asthma rates and cancer rates and and premature birth rates going up, our infant mortality rates going up, do the communities where we are shipping these products to, those on the receiving end, do they even want these products anymore? Because we know from our allies in Europe and Japan that they are trying to transition to a cleaner, greener economy.
economy. So if they're transitioning, why are we shipping them something that they don't even want? They have more than enough um, to supply them for the next several years. So that is what this pause is going to do. And yes, we celebrated the announcement, but the next day we were back to work because again, when you come to my community, those facilities are still operating. I'm speaking with Rochetta Ozan, founder and CEO of the Vessel Project of Louisiana. Right, right. And it's, yeah, it's it's so much over the top in terms of pushing out more and more and more of that and, and the energy it takes to, like you said, turn something from a gas into a liquid and then turn it back into a gas when it gets across the ocean. It's pretty insane. Um, there have been a lot of different streams, I sort of think of, of opposition uh, to the LNGs, including, you know, I, I heard you speak actually at that rally, that big rally in September in New York City. You were kind of raising the temperature there at your speech. <laughs> that was great. And, uh, you know, there's been people coming up from the Gulf to go to FERC, uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission meetings to try to persuade that agency not to permit this stuff. And then this group, new group uh, for elders called um, Third Act, actually was going to go into was going to be in D.C. this like right now, <laughs> um, with I think three hundred elders uh, committing to risking arrest uh, at the Department right. of Energy to try to block this. So, do you think? And I'm sure there were a lot of other things that I don't even know about. Do you think it was that kind of uh, all hands on deck activity by different? populations that sort of moved the needle? I, I have to say, and I continue to say that it took each and every one of us to get to this point. Um, there have been people who have been fighting and pushing back against the poisoning of Black, Indigenous, people of color communities for many years. You know, we can go back to coal and, you know, the railroads and highways coming through communities. And Dr. Bullard has a, a book that he's written and he talks about being the wrong complexion for protection. So many years have gone into this. I've heard reporters and people say Biden in an overnight decision. This is something that happened overnight. Um, that, that takes away from the work we've done. But what was missing from the fight for so many years were real frontline stories people impacted, able to show in real time their impacts. That's thanks to the internet and to social media, the fact that we were able to get these stories across the world, across the globe. We were able to connect with people, like I said, in Europe and in Japan. We were able to go to Dubai and attend COP28 and go to Egypt and attend COP27 and go to New York and speak at New York Climate Week, constantly showing videos and footage of our communities and what we live with and deal with every day. Like yourself, you didn't believe it when you came. When I arranged a tour of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission here in my community, they were in shock. They were in tears to see that there were real men, women, and children who were living like this, hearing the stories of people with cancer and children playing in softball fields with a big petrochemical facility right across the street. In fact, the softball field is entitled the Industrial Girls Softball Complex. Now think about our young girls playing right across the street from industry 
and relate that directly to the number of premature births and the number of cervical cancer and breast cancer rates that have gone up. This is our children have no choice but to be impacted by these things because it's right there, not only in their front yards, but across the street from their schools, where they play, where they eat. So and we were able to get these stories out in real time through video across the world. Also, thanks to new technology like FLIR cameras that show even when you don't see a flare, even when the fire is not there, they are still polluting. And it was able to show those emission rates and compare those emissions to emissions from coal plants, to emissions from petrochemical plants, and show that these projects are not cleaner and greener like they propose themselves to be. Right. That is a revelation. I've seen those FLIR cameras show, um, you know, there was this huge uh spill or leak of um, natural, so quote unquote, natural gas of methane out in Southern California. Um, I can't remember the exact name of the of the town right now, but um, it was just, it went on for weeks. It was enormous. I mean, the amount of methane it contributed to the atmosphere was really, really depressing. And, um, you know, you didn't see anything if you just looked with your naked eye. And then if you look through the camera, you could just see the stuff billowing out just you know, huge amounts of it. So those are really um, handy uh, tools for, you know, frontline folks to, and, and also researchers to, to use to be able to see more of what's really going on. The whole idea of calling methane natural gas is really interesting to me. Um, right. You know, it's natural, it must be good. And, and the whole myth about it being cleaner. Um, and and even even now, those companies are still pushing and like, you know, the pipeline companies are still pushing that it's it's a bridge fuel to a clean right. energy future. Right. And you know, we get a lot of pushback from people who say methane is naturally occurring when, you know, dead things decompose or this is something that's naturally made. Well, also lettuce is naturally made, right? It grows from the ground, but there's also ways to make lettuce in a Petri dish. So whenever you are adding in chemicals and you're taking things from its natural state, cooling them up uh, at really low temperatures, heating them at really high temperatures, adding things, shipping them, moving them, that is what contributes to the danger and the harm. We're not talking about methane from a decomposing cow. We're talking about methane from industrial facilities that add other things into it, like ethylene, benzene, chlorine, vinyl chloride. All of these things are additives into this product, and they're being leaked into the community. And we know that long-term industrial exposure causes things like cancer, asthma, uh, other respiratory conditions, bronchitis. It even leads to mental illnesses. And we've even been able to link things like the fact that these communities have lower education rates and children have higher cases of ADHD. All of the, none of these things were being even included in the permitting of these projects from the beginning. Um, and here we are, several years later, like I said, you know, we fought against coal, we're fighting against petrochemicals, and now here comes big LNG that said, oh, we're cleaner, we're greener, we're better for the economy, we're better for the environment. 
We're going to make these communities better. Methane is natural. We're going to call ourselves liquefied natural gas. And nobody is ever going to know the difference. They're just going to say, yay, come on in. Um, but they were not ready for, for communities to connect to each other and stand up. I think the problem is for so long, we were just doing site fights. We were fighting one thing. We were fighting one industry. But now we band together communities from across the globe, all across America, all in other countries, across the seas. We've come together to say, we want to stop LNG. That is the campaign, stop LNG. But in the process of stopping LNG, pointing out what our communities are already going through and dealing with, with the industries, the infrastructure, and the lack of resources that we have. I'm speaking with Rochetta Ozan, founder and CEO of the Vessel Project of Louisiana. When you say your community, you know, came together to fight this, what is the attitude of, say, the majority of people there um, in terms of, you know, the issue of jobs is definitely an issue, although cancer-causing jobs shouldn't exist, in my opinion. But do you have the support of, like, the majority of your community in trying to stop these projects, or you get pushback from people who say they want the jobs? I can't say that I have the public support of the majority of my community, but the majority of my community have been awakened by my organizing, and they understand that the jobs that they thought that these projects were bringing are just not true. Many of the people that I know um, if they work at industry, they work for some type of contract company. A lot of them are not a part of any union. They, you know, they are temporary workers. Um, they don't, they're not making enough to really live in this community and support their families. So those things have awakened them. We also have many people who used to work in industry, my sister included, worked in industry for 11 years. And now she works for me with Vessel Project. Um, because she recognized her health declining and how her children are impacted and how the community is impacted. We get a lot of anonymous tips from folks who work at industry because what I've, what I've heard them say and what, you know, what plays over and over in my mind is when someone comes to me and they say, Rochetta, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for shining a light on this. This is, I'm not working here because I want to. I'm not working here because I love my job. I'm working here because it provides a living for my children. There is no other choices here. And so until we can get to the point where we can replace these jobs with cleaner, greener jobs, jo jobs that bring the people who live here joy, jobs that you know people want to wake up and go to and they feel safe going to, not jobs where people driving their cars with their seats covered in plastic because they don't want their work clothes touching their car seats. They get home, they undress in their garages, put their clothes to wash separate from the family's clothing. Why are they having to go through all of that? That's an extra job because they're afraid that they're bringing home something that could kill their families. And that's not right. That's not fair. That's a lot of added stress a lot of added mental anguish and you know on how, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs if we don't have that safety and that security we can't reach our full potential and it's holding people back from reaching their full potential so again I might not have the public majority support 
but I have a lot of support. I have a lot of people behind me. Um, people are rallying. People attend the meetings. They attend the hearings because they want to understand what's happening around here. Yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about telling stories, have anybody, has anyone in your own immediate family, like you or your, any of your children, had, um, you know, health repercussions from from being from living where you live? So my sister, who's here now, who also works with me with the Vessel Project, she's one of my fellows. She was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. She's now in remission. My nephew has cancer in his arm. And I want you to understand that my family is not from Louisiana. We're from a town in Mississippi called Ruville. That's where my mom raised us. It's, it's five of us and my entire family, my grandmother, all her children, my mom, all her children. We were born and raised in Mississippi. That's where we grew up. No industry, still a lot of cotton fields and still a lot of farmland and fishing farms. So when we moved here to uh, Louisiana 20 years ago, this was different for us. Now, you also have to understand that we don't have a history of cancer. They didn't have any type of uh, illnesses and ailments. We didn't even know what asthma was. The school I went to, my friends, my classmates, we didn't know what asthma was. We didn't know what ADHD was. We didn't have those things. And I come here and everybody knows somebody with cancer. Everybody knows all the kids got an asthma pump and it's cool and they decorate them and they make them look cute. There's an issue. And then when I started having children and my children have asthma and then I had given birth to five babies and the sixth baby that I carried, he passed away and was born into heaven. I had never lost a baby before. Um, and then my sister getting cancer, my nephew getting cancer, my baby getting his rare skin condition. That is why when I talk, I talk about these personal stories, but I also want people to understand that this is a family that is not from here, who came here, and now my family is impacted in this way. My grandmother is still living in Ruville, Mississippi, and she's doing fine. She can outrun me. But us who moved here now have all of these things that we're dealing with. I sound nasally almost every day when I've been a public speaker my entire life. I've never had this type of nasally, post-nasal drip, something always got my throat tingling. It's, it's here. We look forward to visiting home and going back to Mississippi. My mom, my sisters, and I, we love to go visit my grandmother because we always say there's no water like the water in the Delta of Mississippi. We can drink it from the faucet. We can drink water from the water hose. The air is lighter. And then we come back here and we can immediately notice a difference. Yeah, I'm sure. And I, I noticed from when I was there, I noticed the difference too. So um, we have to wrap up. I really appreciate your time, Rashetta. This is great. Um, is there any quick thing you wanna um, you wanna mention uh, that we didn't talk about? And then um, just a, a contact, a, a website or a Facebook page for people to get more information. I always say it is better to see it than believe it. Come and visit us in Southwest Louisiana. We will give you a tour so you can see all the industry and how we're impacted. But also, we will invite you to enjoy our culture while we love it here. The fishing, the crabbing, the seafood, the gumbo. We have the best food in the world. Um, it is carnival season right now. Mardi Gras is next week. This is the best time to come to the Gulf Coast and pay 
pass a good time and understand why we're fighting, why we're not going anywhere. We're not moving. This is our home. We're going to fight for it until we can't fight anymore. You can visit uh, the website, VesselProjectsOfLouisiana.org. Follow me on all the social medias, Rochetta. I am the only Rochetta in the world, so I'm very easy to find. I hope you get a little love and laughter from visiting those sites, but also see the realness of what we're living with every day. Thank you so much. And we will definitely, I will definitely go visit those and invite our listeners and viewers to do the same. So thanks so much. Take care of yourself. Hope to see you again. I'm sure we'll run into each other at some demonstration or other. Yes, ma'am, Miss Melinda. You have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Forest and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9:30 a.m. here on WPKN FM 89. Here on WPKN 89.5 FM for more environmental news you can use.